All right. Good morning again, and welcome again, everyone. Welcome again, everyone online here on this Christ the King Sunday. Um, and as you can see, uh, we'll start out again with that same image that I was showing the kids. This is the vision of the throne room of God that the Apostle John has. Uh, and he start, uses it to start out the book of Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible. And it uses all sorts of images and symbols, uh, all drawn from the Bible. Uh, Jimmy, can we get the picture up again once more? There we go. And, yep, with the copyright on it. Um, but this is what he sees. This is maybe the best, the best drawing. And, again, it's full of symbols, right? This isn't a literal drawing, what he saw. But you've got to kind of take yourself into it and just picture yourself in it, you know, that you've got this glaring light in the middle. And, and the face, and Jesus' face is hidden behind the light. Like, even in his vision, he's not supposed to see it directly. That's, like, it's too much. And then you get these colors coming out. He says it's like, uh, like green and like red. And then, of course, the four living creatures, each with the four wings, right? Those are the gospel writers. And then you got the kings, the elders on each side. It, it, I don't know, the first time I saw this image, I was like, why are they all cone heads like Chevy Chase? That's an old, like, SNL skit. And I'm like, no, that's the, their, their thrones are pointy. It's the thrones. They're not cone heads. Um, but 12, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel, the old and the new, together, right? Equally on each side. And then, of course, the crowd that's all around singing forever and ever. It says they sing and give honor and glory and praise, and they sing forever and ever. And I remember reading the first time, and I'm like, they just sing forever and ever? I mean, they don't stop? Do they take a break? Do they get to go on a hike? You know? Um, and, then, and then it's like, remember, Lars, it's not literal, right? Um, and of course, none of it is literal. What, what John actually saw would have been something that you, we don't even have words for. And so all he could do was compare what he saw to things he had and say that it was like this and like that because the image was just so overwhelming. Right? To see God in all his glory like that, it would have probably left, I'm sure it left him stunned and overwhelmed. And this is just the beginning of the vision, of course. It goes on for 21 more chapters. Uh, but this is a vision of God in his holiness. And I would bet you John came away from that cave and was never the same again. Now, I read this passage. It's, it's in our Bible reading for today. And you know, the question keeps coming up every time I get to one of these passages about visions, which is, why don't we get visions like that today? Why didn't I get a vision like that? I mean, that sounds kind of cool. I mean, it could be a little scary, because if you get farther in Revelation, you know, there's plagues and plagues and plagues and death, and lots of bad stuff happens. But, I mean, at least the first part, that'd be really cool, right? To look at God face to face, you know? Although I'll bet it was kind of scary, right? You sit there and you stare at God face to face, and then you're realizing, dang, I got some things to answer for here, right? I hope God doesn't remember what I did two summers ago, etc. But you know God does, and you're still standing there, so you're probably okay. But still, to get a vision like that, I mean, why don't I get visions like that? 
Why don't I get to see the throne? Or even just a little of it? Or could I at least get to hear the choir? Couldn't I just get like a little snippet of the choir? Find out if they sing in the key of F or the key of C or the key of F minor diminished seventh suspended? Is that a thing, Stuart? It's a thing, wow. I'm not going to ask you to do it right now, but... I mean, could you just give me a little snippet, God? I don't need the whole thing, you know? Just give me some light and a voice. But for me, God has spoken more in quiet times, in dark times, in the lack of things, when I don't have a vision of anything. It's kind of the opposite, and it wouldn't make a very exciting book, right? And then I sat down and prayed, and there was nothing. 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 God was there. What was God like? I don't know. All there was nothing. God was there, but it was nothing. You know, it's the kind of thing that only a monk would get excited about. But my guess is that for most of us, that's probably more realistic, probably more what most of us have actually experienced. That when we've had the spiritual breakthroughs, that it's not as much flashing and lights as it is a presence when times are dark. But it still begs the question, why not these spiritual breakthroughs? And, and, and maybe, maybe this is just something that happens to us, because I know if I talk to my Lutheran colleagues in Africa and Madagascar and Singapore, they'll tell you they get spiritual breakthroughs every Sunday. Uh, and so why are we not? It's, it's not because God's not wanting to talk to us. It's not because God isn't present in the West. God is around. God is speaking. Or maybe it's just that kind of we in the West have closed ourselves off, that that, that we're not very open. We we don't want to consider that God could be speaking. We've kind of ruled out the possibility, so we're not listening to the voice. Somebody the other day was saying that that they talked to a friend, said that they picture God kind of like an absentee father, you know, he makes you and then he disappears and he plops in from time to time uh, and makes a good showing and disappears again. And that's how God works in the world, so I don't worry about it because I haven't had too many showings lately. And I'm like, really? Is that, I hope that's not how we view God. But that is actually probably for a lot of our world how they do view God. It, there, and there's a name for it. There's a fancy name for it. It's called the buffered self. The buffered self. Um, It's kind of like, imagine yourself having a a force field around you, some kind of buffer. And uh, around that, no supernatural stuff can get through. No angels, no demons, no spirits, no gods, no miracles, no nothing. Nothing gets through. I'm buffered. I'm protected. Now, I don't think most, most of us, most secular Westerners think of themselves as having a buffer. They didn't think of themselves as supernatural stuff not existing. But there was a time, you know, with our ancestors not that long ago, when everything everywhere was spirits and gods and divinities and forces and powers, and they were in everything and streaming through everything all the time, and you needed to, and you needed God all the time, every day to protect you from these things. And now, we're just kind of like, eh, we're buffered, right? We're buffered. That stuff doesn't get to me. If it does exist, it doesn't happen to me. So that's a buffered self. No divinities, no supernatural things, nothing. You live life on your own terms. You make your own destiny. 
you're in charge of things. If things happen, it's, it's nothing but molecules and, and gravity and whatever. And, and you don't have to, you know, I, I don't need God. I got my job. I got my position. I got my education. I got my reason. I got this. Some curveballs may happen, but I got this. I'm buffered. Listen to Psalm 10. This isn't just a brand new problem. Psalm 10, verses 3 through 6. For the wicked boast of their desires of their heart, those greedy for gain curse and renounce the Lord. In the pride of their countenance, the wicked say, God will not seek it out. All their thoughts are, there is no God. Their ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of their sight. As for their foes, they scoff at them. They think in their heart, we shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, we shall not meet adversity. So in a sense, this is nothing new, right? The idea that my strength and my prosperity can protect me from anything that I might need is a, kind of an old idea. Now, I don't think, I don't think necessarily everyone who's buffered is wicked. I, they, that's, let's not take the psalm too far, right? But it is that same kind of, almost kind of smugness, you know, that self-confidence, that God is not needed, you know, that leads to denying God exists. And they're buffered by money, we're buffered by power, we're buffered by our social condition. And so we come along as Christians, us as a church, we're trying to live our lives of faith and we're trying to carry out Jesus' command to communicate to the world that God is real and God is love and God changes life and Jesus is Lord and they're thinking, meh, eh, I don't need it, I'm good. I'm good. And so I think we get stuck. We get stuck and we go, okay, now what do I do? We got to rethink what we're doing when we try to talk about the gospel in this secular world. Because, you know, we... We in this room, we watching online, we've all in some way had an experience of God that has changed us, right? It's why we're here. You know, we don't feel buffered. We feel the Lord in our hearts and our minds. We see the Lord in, in, at work in our lives and in the creation around us. And Because at some point in our lives, the buffer was down and God was let in. Now, that could be because we were raised in the church and we never had the buffer in the first place. But God's going to always been there with us. Or maybe because something happened in life and God broke through. Or because we sought it out and opened ourselves to God. The buffer comes down, or we let the buffer down, in certain points more than others, I've found. The first one is low points. There's a tragedy. Something painful happens. We feel very not in control of ourselves, not in control of our lives. And that smugness starts to wither away, and we ask God where he's been. It doesn't always start with faith. It may, it may start with, God, where have you been all this time, and where are you now? But at least you're asking the question, right? And I think it's common to find God there because the disruption and life has disrupted the belief that I can do it all by myself. You know, when you have nothing left, 
you have nothing left to lean on but the Lord. And that's often when we let our guard down and we listen to God. Then there's high points. High points. I think we're all familiar with the low points, right? I was an addict. I bottomed out. What about high points? You're caught up in a moment of pure joy, pure happiness. All the world seems to stand still and everything in that moment has, has all sorts of meaning. And you realize in that moment of joy that the world is so much more than just molecules. It's like when you're, this is what you feel like when you're falling in love. And everything just seems to fill you up, right? You, you realize that there is so much more out there. And, and you wonder about God and you start to let that buffer down. It's like the awesomeness of it just overwhelms you and it can make even the most hardened secularist wonder if that, and when staring at that sunset, if it, re, sunset, if it really is something more than just the dust from California wildfires plus the angle of the sun. Maybe there really is something more. In moments of pure joy, the buffers let down. And maybe that's because in order to be in a moment of pure joy, you kind of have to let your buffer down. You can't be as protected and guarded. The awesomeness just overwhelms you. And then there are times when we open ourselves up. I call them open points. You have high points, low points, and open points. My Irish ancestors used to call these thin places. It was where the boundary between the holy and the ordinary was less, where, where, where the distance was more thin. Somebody explained it to me, kind of a math nerd. It's kind of like the tangent, you know? You got a circle, you got a line. They touch right at that tangent. That's kind of what a thin place was. It isn't like God isn't around the other places, but in that, in that spot, it was thinner. And again, for my ancestors, that was often a very specific place. It was a particular cave or a hill or a rock or a bog or something. And those, they, they had geographic significance. And, um, and so that's when you would get the, the missionaries would come in and they would often you know, go to those places to preach because the belief was the presence of God was stronger there. They were more spiritual. Now, I don't believe it necessarily has to be a geographic place where a thin space is. It doesn't have to be an actual mountain. It has to be a place where we're, we're open to the presence of God. Sometimes geography helps. I mean, I'm much more likely to find God, you know, when I'm in the standing in the cathedral or kneeling in the cathedral playing, praying than when I'm waiting in line at the DMV. And granted, I will plead to God many times at the DMV. You know, did you, bring, did you bring certificate 4AB72 part 3 certified by a notarized? And be like, oh God. I don't think it's the same place. I find the DMV to very, be a very thick place. But the thin place is where God breaks in on you and the boundary becomes less. You know, you think of Moses on the mountain, right? He goes up there, God speaks to him. You, you think of Samuel, the Samuel, when he was a kid, before he was a prophet, he's literally sleeping in front of the altar, and God's voice speaks to him. You have the prophet Isaiah. He's a priest. He goes into the temple. He gets a throne room vision, just like John did. And then, of course, you have John the apostle sitting in that cave, and he gets to see the throne room. These are thin places. And while we can't make God do anything, we can open ourselves up. 
We can do this through our spiritual practices, right? You can pray a certain amount a day. You can read a certain amount of scripture. You can spend some time in quiet with God or spend some time talking with God, with music, whatever works for you. But the idea is that you open yourself up. Good worship should do this as well, right? It should catch you up in the moment where you lose your worries about your bill and your job and what you need to remember to catch at Target on the way home. And in those moments, the buffer comes down and the Spirit can come in and we can be overtaken by the Spirit. Or it could be you're spending time in a prayer group and you share some of your problems of the week with the people in the prayer group. And, and you talk about what you're going through. And the group is listening. And they're praying with you. And everyone's holding hands. And in that moment, the Spirit comes and you're overwhelmed. And in those relationships, you experience something that lowers the buffer. And what you have in that moment is the experience of the glory of God in your soul and you probably don't have great words for it. And you have to use lots of symbols and images and say the word like all the time. It was like this. It was like that. Now, bringing all this kind of back home. We, we Christians, we have a challenge as a church today. And it's not just us. It's not just Lord of Grace. It's Christians in America. It's Christians in the West. And that's to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to make disciples of all nations in a world that is incredibly buffered and secular. And, of course, making disciples of all nations, we don't have to go overseas. The nations are coming here, right? They're at our doorstep. And we're trying to figure out how to do this. And it's not like it was before. You know, before... Everyone more or less believed that God existed and they more or less believed that God could do things and that prayer worked and that God changes things. And, 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 and then what do you do in that world? You just make an invitation to your church. You got to make a good invitation, right? You invite them to worship. You create a program that does something and then you invite them into that program and then the churches compete with each other for the biggest, snazziest programs, and all the all the things that are all those things are designed to for people who are already believing and unbuffered. And you're convincing them to come to your church. But now you can come up with someone and invite them to church, and they can't even compute why they would even think about that. You know, it doesn't even make sense. What's the benefit? Why bother? You know, why just do something else? Life is buffered for them. God is something abstract out there, like the people the psalmist talks about. God's out there. His judgment doesn't affect me. Eh, it's just an abstract idea, a concept. That's something I've experienced. We have to help people have that experience, find ways to get through the buffer. So we do things like build prayer groups and ministries so we can be there with people in those low times and pray in moments when the buffer isn't working. And we create community and fellowship so that in our life together, in our relationships, what we do, there can be that level of enjoyment where the time stops and we can't help but feel God's presence. 
And we create opportunities to meditate and pray and to interact with the Holy Spirit in worship and prayer so we can get caught up in the holy. And we, do our, we, we have to do our outreach, as they say, to the low places, the high places, and the thin places. And we open the door to lower the buffer and let the Holy Spirit in and let it do the work. Amen.